Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Leonie Grunler, founder of Linus Games, designer of Biome, an engine-building, nature-themed tableau builder, which is currently on Kickstarter. Leonie, welcome to the binge. How are you doing? Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me. I'm oh, great. It is great having you. First of all, let me just say the visuals on your game are absolutely stunning. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. I mean, that's what pulled me in right away. I'm like, oh, I got to reach out to these guys and it, hopefully they'll accept my invitation to come on the podcast because I want to get into this game and get in deep. And we we're just talking off air really quickly and there is so much to unpack. And I can't wait to get into it. So first and foremost, let's start off with how did you get into the board game industry? Yes. So, you know, it's funny. Two years ago, if you asked me if I would ever make a board game or have a booth at Essen Spiel, I would have said in your dreams. <laughs> but now here we are. So... In a nutshell, I had an idea for a game and but never thought I would do anything with it. But I was like, oh, this would make a really cool idea for a game. And then, so I was laid off, had decided to take some time off before jumping into a new, a new gig. And on a trip to visit old friends in Berlin, they told me they were thinking about making a board game. And I was like, ooh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And um, and then I got COVID and had to quarantine. And I was like, okay, this is the time that I'm yeah. gonna start my game. So it was like, think like what talk about silver linings. Yeah. Uh, because of getting COVID, I started making biome. And I had never been so energized or focused or excited about something ever, like from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day. Even though I was sick with COVID, I was working on this game. That's amazing. We call that creative flow. I was talking to a colleague of mine, Kevin Levy, and uh, you know, it's in, in game design, uh, there's times when you'll have a title that maybe you're grinding away at for you. I have one myself that I've been working on for like five years. I keep going back to it. It's kind of like a song. People write songs, right? They start writing a song. It's like, ah, it's not quite there. I'm gonna put it on the shelf and I'll come back to it. And then there's other times when you just hit the flow and it's like the, the, the ideas are just pouring in and you can't stop yourself. You have to get it out. You got to get it on the table. You got to get the design done. And, uh, it almost feels like a gift coming to you, right? Like, it's like, it just kind of just almost envelops you and you, you can't stop until it's done. So it's, it's so cool to hear that. Um, so let me go back to the, the late, where were you laid off from? What were you doing before that? So before that I was working at a, food, hospitality, so food, like tech startup in sure. San Francisco called Chef. Oh, so wow. Homemade food delivery. Um, yeah. So unfortunately they, you know, during that, that summer of 2022, I believe it was, yeah. it, the whole Bay area was experiencing these layoffs from the recession. What, and, and what were you doing there? Like, were you in the marketing or sales or what was your, what was your role? Yeah, I was, um, operations manager for the first for the West Coast and then for the Bay Area. Oh, wow. So project management and things like that, I'm sure is skill sets you kind of developed along the way? Exactly. Well, that's amazing. And then when you went to uh, to Germany and, and at Essen uh, with Biome, which hadn't launched yet, what was the game plan there? Like, did were, you, were your thoughts that, hey, I'm just going to get people to, to play test this? Was it more to try to get early signups? Like, what, what was kind of thinking going into that? 
yeah, it was exactly that. Let's show biome. Let's see, you know, it's kind of the first time I put biome out there to the public. Yeah. I was curious to see what is the reception for the game. And it was honestly priceless because then we knew, you know, how to market biome, what appeals to people. And it was definitely the straw nests and the cute tokens, yeah. the nature theme, like people love the art. Um, so we had 400 people play test biome in four days. Wow. Which is insane, but it was How amazing. many games did you have going at the same time? Did you have like four tables running concurrently or? Yeah, so I had three tables. Um, and then on the fourth day, our neighbor, they had to leave because of a family emergency. So they gave us their booth space. So yeah. we used their tables as well. Um, and then we were so packed. We had to start taking reservations for people to play. So we cut people off every hour and we're like, sorry, you got one hour. Then we've got the next group coming in and people would reserve for the next day and show up on time to play. Yeah. It was phenomenal. It's gotta be tough to kind of kick people out of the table too. Like I was at Essen and we were on the first two days we were play testing uh, cities of Venus yeah. and we just found the like, wow, like, you know, when you got chair, like it's tough to get through a lot of people because you have people that want to play through the whole game. And it's like, so we started doing that. We had to start saying, Hey, we're going to give you a small window where you can get a sampling of the game, but we can't there. It'll be impossible for let, us to let you play a full game. Cause we'll never get through enough people at this, at this con, which is kind of tough when you have to say that, but I mean, you gotta be practical about it too. You want to get the numbers as much as you can, I guess. Right. Right. You want to give everyone a shot to play. So, and I don't know if you heard, but Essenspiel, they changed the rules a little bit. So their smallest booth size, they're increasing to from 10 to 15 square meters because they want more people. They want the small publishers to have more demo table space. I did not hear that. Is it the same price or is it a, uh, obviously slight uh, increase. <laughs> slight increase. <laughs> Yeah, like we had a 10 meter square booth, which was quite large. I mean, I compare that to like a booth in the USA, right? If you go to like any convention, whether in board game industry or anywhere else, it's usually looking at like a 10 by 10 where your 10 meter square, um, the way they're kind of designed, they're designed to kind of pull people in, right? So they're not like you just have like a little tiny table and you're, you know, and you got your thing behind you. They're usually on a corner or they have them set up so they're open so people can access it, which I think is really cool at that, that con. Don't tell the organizers that we even kind of crept outside of our zone to put another table in. And luckily we didn't get in trouble. So it was Yeah, great. geez. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty well policed as well. So yeah. this is like when I'm thinking about like this being your first game, and when you hear like engine builder and tableau placement, things like this, I mean, that's not like those aren't small mechanics. So like where where was the history behind there? Like, had you been gaming for a number of years before then? like reading the hobby industry for a while as, as more of a player, like how did you get to the point where then you're sitting down and kind of creating like a meaty game like that? Like what was the history leading into that? Yeah. So, so obviously growing up, I played a lot of games with family and friends, you know, werewolf, wizard, rummy, of course, you know, the standard monopoly shoots and ladders, all these things as a young kid. And then it was in high school. That's where I, you know, for most people, Settlers of Catan is like the gateway game. And I think that was my big intro to board games as we know them. Yeah. And believe it or not, I played Catan almost every day after school with one of my friends for a year. We'd play one or two games back to back. And I don't know how we did that, but I think we also had our own, you know, home house rules that made yeah. it a little more fun. And 
but yeah, so that was, that was my freshman year of high school. And then in college, I got more into the social deduction games. And then it was when I moved to Berlin that my hobby for board games really took a turn and became a lot more serious. So I was introduced to Everdell, to Coimbra, um, to so many more, like, more complex games and I fell in love with them. So to your question about Tableau Builders, Everdell is one of my favorite games. Mm. And so is Wingspan and Splendor is a sort of Tableau Builder kind yep. of. Um, and so that was my favorite. That's one of my favorite mechanics. And so I knew my first game was also going to be a Tableau Builder. And um, yeah, so that was kind of like I, I, I had the theme nature and biodiversity yeah. and then the main mechanic tableau builder so that was really helpful to kind of narrow in yeah. okay where do i start no oh, that's cool and then in in terms of like this approach of deciding to go on kickstarter was that always the plan that i'm going to create a game i'm going to put on kickstarter or was it i'm going to create a game then we'll see like kind of what was how that plan kind of manifest yeah so i'm really lucky i have a very supportive partner rish and he's like the entrepreneurial half of the two of us. And yeah. so when he saw that I was getting really excited, I started having, you know, after I started designing a game, I was play testing and iterating on it and having the best time. And, I was, and he's like, let me look into the business side of this. And he's like, Leone, this is a $16 billion industry. Like, let's have a go at it. Like I can see your passion, you know, let's try. So we discussed, you know, should we do Kickstarter or go with a larger publisher. And as you know, publishers will only give you about 5% of royalties. And yeah. that just seemed small and painful for the amount of love and effort I was putting into the game. So we're like, okay, let's at least try the self-publishing route and kind of see how it goes from there. So, you know, in the future, I'm still open to seeing what comes my way, but we're obviously now a week into the Kickstarter. And yeah, it's just super exciting. It's been an amazing learning journey for us. And then let's talk about that learning. So how did how did you approach this, right? Because you hadn't run a Kickstarter before. Um, to cut and and we're gonna get into your page in a second, but it's very well laid out. It's very clear to me that you've done a lot of research and you've probably consulted a number of experts. Uh, even your video, I mean, Mess of Game Labs. I'll give a shout out to uh, David Diaz, one of my most favorite. Uh, animators out there and did a it's bang up job with that video is awesome that you have as your as your as your launch video but what was your approach how did you approach this learning curve on how to do a kickstarter page right so i so i was spending a lot of time designing the game and like play testing because yeah. i have a very high bar for quality and my partner was like he was like well we also gotta you gotta work on the marketing <laughs> you know yeah. You can have a phenomenal product, but if you don't know how to sell it, it's not going to go anywhere. So we decided, okay, we want to work with some marketing agency or get some expert help to help with this side. That is not one of my personal strengths. So that's when we found LaunchBoom. Yep. And they have been phenomenal. So it's a one-time upfront cost to then join their games community. And they have this, um, you know, they have the system to help you have a really successful launch uh, on Kickstarter. So they want you to fund on day one. And as yeah, we funded in nine minutes, so it, it worked. And they have then like a full, you know, outline and system for how to design your Kickstarter page. 
and they kind of provide that guidance on many levels throughout the Kickstarter journey. So what was the biggest thing do you think that was as part of that advice, say in launch boom, we'll use as an example, that kind of clicked for you to say, okay, this is something that I didn't think about before, but now that I've, they're kind of explaining this to me, it's now much clearer. This needs to be done. Yeah. Ooh. So they have an interesting approach. Um, So for most, you know, the, the general advice is grow your email list to be as massive as possible leading up to your campaign. However, only around 2% on average actually convert. So yeah. LaunchBoom came up with this process. If you get people to put down a dollar, any amount of money before the campaign, they are 30 times more likely to actually back you. So, you know, other campaigns like Kelp or Botany also use LaunchBoom. They did like a $1, you know, if you put down a dollar, we'll give you a free mini expansion. Mm. And Stripe fees are actually pretty high on the $1. So I said, okay, might as well, let's make it worth it. For those who put down a $5 deposit, I'll give you a free upgrade to Deluxe. And so that's, I had over a thousand people put down those $5 before the Kickstarter even went live. So I think that's kind of the biggest reason we, we funded so fast. And it's just been on, it's just building the community in general. Um, on Kickstarter has been so fun. Like the board game community is amazing, as you know. So it's like a combination of factors of the launch boom method and building this community in advance. And how did you collect that? Was it more uh, Essen that you guys did that that collection or like where do you, how how did you reach these people? Through ads or how did you get them to drop their five bucks down? Through ads. So ads on Facebook and Instagram. And then we set up a landing page. Um, So first we collect email addresses and say, hey, this is a special offer pre Kickstarter. then we would collect the five dollars through Stripe. Wow! And then you got your thirty. And I mean, obviously, it's it's paid out when you look at your page, um, which I'm showing on the screen for people that are uh, watching. Um, I mean, let's just start off with the fact that you funded uh, quite high. So, <laughs> congratulations on that. Um, and for those listening, I'm gonna put this in Canadian dollars cause it's the only way I can see it, but you're at roughly $190,000 on a, a goal of 13 and a half thousand dollars, 2,263 backers still got 23 days to go. Uh, so people that follow Kickstarters know how these work. You have this kind of reverse bell curve where you have this kind of back end. We call it the back end hockey stick the last 72 hours. We usually fund, uh, similar to what you did on your day one. So I'm sure you're going to be in a very happy spot when this thing is is complete. But when I scroll through your page, uh, again, artwork, I want to say, very, very well done. Everything from the thought you put behind the video up front, again, with Mesa Game Labs, to then just how you structure this in a way that it gives people bite-sized information, yet in a very um, visually kind of compelling way. And I want to talk about these little nests, because this is something that was very <laughs> unique to your game. Uh, that pull you in right away. Like people are like, what, what is that? So explain these little nests. Yeah, it's, it's funny you ask. So like, I think components are so important to a game. Like the tactile aspect is everything. I, it always bums me out when you have to pay an extra $25 to upgrade to the deluxe wooden components. So I knew from the get-go, I was going to have all wooden components, even in my base game. Um, and for the nests, so um, even for my early prototypes, I had little straw nests. 
um, that I ordered off of Etsy. <laughs> and I still have some of them flying around, which which is always fun to to run into those. And then, yeah, I, they, they're just such a unique little component and it's been great. So I have baby chicks, which you put in the nests and then little rabbits, which you also put in the nests, although technically they burrow in grass. Sure. But it's, you know, it's a game. So yeah, I, once I, I've been, um, once we decided, okay, we're, we want to start getting quotes from manufacturers, every manufacturer I talked to, I was like, can you do these nests? And so then we, we settled on long pack and, you know, they're fantastic and yeah, really, really, yeah. High quality nests. So did you design the nest or did you just say, Hey, I need, I need something that looks like a nest. Like how did you Yep. I was like, I need small nests about, you know, I forget now the exact measurements in, in diameter, but, and then they said, yeah, these are the ones we can make for you. And I was like, perfect. They look great. And then wooden meeples and, uh, it was a 220 cards. I think I read in here somewhere. Yeah. Um, can you walk people through kind of the basics of how, how you play this game? Just for those who maybe don't understand or haven't seen the page yet. Like how, how does this game play? Can you explain kind of the basics of how you play this game? Yeah, absolutely. So you are playing through the seasons. Um, and every season is around and starts with some simultaneous gameplay phases and ends with one action-based phase. So at the same time, all players are drawing cards, collecting resources, and then playing one card. And then at the very end of the season, Going clockwise, each player chooses one action from the played cards in their tableau to activate. And you can only activate each action once per game. So there's no action spamming. Mm. And you really have to think, like the main strategy is, which cards do you play? And in what order do you activate the actions? Because some will get stronger later on in the game. And as you're playing cards, activating actions, winning achievements, having baby animals, hunting other players, baby animals, you're earning points and moving up on a point track. So you don't have to count up your points at the end of the game. You'll immediately know at the end where you stand. And there are little instant bonuses on the point track. So, you know, when you hit four points, you get a free sunlight and you hit seven points, you'll, you'll draw a free card, things like that. So and yeah. Who did you have to do your photography? Uh, photography. Um, mostly myself. <laughs> wow. Congrats. Think, yeah. So it's been mostly me and, um, some friends of mine have been helping me out. Oh my God. Like it did. I mean, everything from even like the, the color scheme and the richness of the greens, it's, it's clear that you spent a lot of time focusing on how do I make this thing as high quality as possible. And really something people are going to stop and look at when they're walking by the table. Is that, is that fair to say? That's, very fair to say. And yeah, I have very lucky. I have an amazing graphic designer. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, Gregor, he really brought the game to life. So I'm, I owe him so much. And where did you find your graphic designer? Through a mutual friend. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking just before we went on air, like some of the learnings that um, you can have when you're doing these camp. This is your first campaign. I mean, your first campaign, holy smokes. Uh, <laughs> wow. Right. You, you've done, you've done amazing, but there's always learnings, right? What were some of the learnings that you found uh, coming into this that you were like, ah, I think next time I might do that differently or that didn't play it the way I wanted to. Was there anything like in this campaign that, that, that you kind of felt that way or no? 
Yes. So I would say the biggest learning has been the stretch goals. Mm. Um, so I definitely, you know, so I think as I, I mentioned before, for I was unsure if I wanted to do stretch goals or not, because I consider the game already to be pre-stretched, right? Really high quality components. Yeah, roughly. super deluxe, right? Yeah. Super deluxe, even the base. So, and I was like, okay, sure, I'll I'll do it. Why not? And and so I obviously have put in a ton of effort. So I have, you know, we have high expectations for the campaign, but you sure. know, maybe I was too ambitious at parts. We'll we'll see. Who knows? Yeah. And uh so I kind of spaced these couple stretch goals, you know, I thought about them carefully, what would really add more value to the game. And, you know, people complained, they said, oh, these are way too high. These are like outrageous, not attainable. Like you guys are ridiculous. You know, this is making me question if I should even back the game. You know, are, are you even gonna make this campaign happen or so anyways, <laughs> I got a bunch of flack for it. And yeah. So I did lower some of the goals and introduce a few more stretch goals. Um, to me, yeah, it's it's a tough question because, you know, I don't, I think a lot of publishers do this where, yes, they'll introduce tiny incremental stretch goals yeah. of things they would have anyway put in the game, yep. right? So linen finish for me was one of those things I was going to do that anyway, but I added sure. as a stretch goal. Yeah. The Fox token is something I would not have added in the game. So that oh. really was a stretch goal as are the, the last, the achievement cards, these vulture cards are not, were not originally going to be in the game. And then the little, um, point the trackers. Final is the little point tracker meeples. Um, yeah. So it's, it's tricky, right? Because you want to, find that balance of, okay, who, which of your backers, right. Do you want to, you know, how much do you want to cave to those few really outspoken people? Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's, it's been a learning journey for sure. It, it is so tough because the reality is you're not going to make everyone happy. Right. And people will always be vocal. And from my experience, sometimes the people that are the most vocal are the ones that almost want to be heard, but then are not necessarily going to be there for the long term. And I've had this happen to me on a, on a few campaigns now where, you know, people are like, where's the stretch goals? I want to see the stretch goals. Right. And then you, you're like, ah, you cave and you put them in. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's, it's a crap shoot, right. As to, okay, what number do I put? Because I mean, you can do the math. You have a good idea where you're going to fund on day one and so forth, just based on the math going in. But you really don't know, right? There's going to be a lot and a lot of things that are kind of come into play. Is it going to go viral and, and all these kind of things? Or are the ads going to kick in and, and drive that much more growth? Right. So you're just kind of trying to pick a number. And this is the one area that you probably have the greatest chance of just getting wrong. Yeah. And and what I've seen often is people that that want stretch goals. I had this on one campaign where I've came back and like, fine, let's do some stretch goals. We added some stretch goals in. We hit the stretch goals. And then the people that were vocal about it dropped their pledge. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what is going on? Right. And it's like, so for me, I think the lesson that I've taken away from that is create the best possible game you can. And, and I know there's two camps on goals versus no goals, but create the best possible game you can. And, and then once you decide what you're going to do, try to stick to it and not let, you know, the few with the loudest voices, uh, you know, kind of take you off your path. Right. 
And, um, and it is so hard to do, especially on your first game, but it, it seems like you've really thread the needle quite well here. Cause you've, you've navigated this very well. The page looks amazing. Again, you've funded crazy high and, uh, you should be very, very proud of what you've been able to pull off here for your first campaign. This is, it is a very, very few percentage of people that can do this on their first shot out of the gate for the first game. So good for you on that. Um, where, where are you guys going to go from? Like, have you thought about like now you're doing this full time, right? Yeah. Um, you've created biome is, is it now expansion time or are you working on other games or what's kind of the plan for lioness games? Yeah. So first finish a biome and then, but in the back of my, my mind, I do have the ideas for future expansions for biome, you know, like either coastal expansions so introducing different habitats to the game. Yeah. Um, or, and then I also have ideas for two ideas for future games that I want to work on. And are, and how far out are those? Are they they're just in the ideation stage right now? Pretty much in the ideation stage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when does biome, when is it kind of going to be shipped to backers? Is that date been set? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> we have some ambitious goals for delivery. Yeah. Um, my guess is it'll be September. My partner believes it'll be August. So of this year. Yep. So we're, yep. <laughs> So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, wow. We're planning on starting to manufacture as the right when the campaign ends. Sure. So I'm like, while I'm running this campaign, I'm also, you know, doing the final editing and uh, things like that. And then it takes about seven weeks to manufacture. Um, and then kind of just some time to you know, get loaded onto the ships or however, and then probably about two months to be sent to the different fulfillment centers. And who are and you then, using for fulfillment? Who are your... Yeah. So we're using Games Quest for yep. the UK and Europe. Most likely Diamond Fulfillment for the US. Um, yep. I think VFI for Asia. Still TBD on the other regions. Wow. But kind of, these are who we've been been talking to. Wow. Yeah, that that's aggressive. But uh, hey, I, I'm, I'm cheering for you guys. If you could pull it off, like... You're gonna have a lot of very happy backers. I'm sure people are gonna be ecstatic. There's obviously a lot of excitement around this right now. Um, for those who actually want to check out this campaign, I will put a link in the show notes. Uh, just simply go click on that. Also, they can just go to Kickstarter and type in biome and it'll take you right to the, if it's not already in your for you suggestions on the landing page, type in biome and it'll take you there. Um, Leone, I want to wish you all the best in this coming year of this campaign. I'm so excited for you guys. I think you guys have done an amazing job and I can't wait to see what's next for you. Oh, thank you so much. What a no pleasure talking to you. And I hope to run into you maybe latest at Essen Spiel. Absolutely. Gentle. We'll see you there. Yeah. All right, take care. <laughs> Thanks so Cheers. Much. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Oh,